Well, uh, at this time, I want to welcome Terry from uh, Teen Challenge, and he's got a student, Jonathan, with him, and I don't know what they've got planned, but they've got good stuff planned. So come on up, and uh, I'll let you guys do what you're going to do. Let's, uh, let's hear it for Teen Challenge. Good morning, folks. It's great to be here. Uh, my name is Terry Branscombe. I'm the development officer with Teen Challenge, the men's center in Memram Cook, and this is Jonathan, a phase four student in Memram Cook. Jonathan's a graduate of the program. He's going to sit for a minute and uh, he's going to come back up. But before I continue, I want you to watch this video. When I started using crack cocaine, I became somebody that I didn't even recognize. Life was so out of control that I didn't care anymore. The things that I would do to get my crack cocaine were unthinkable. They were unfathomable. I would steal, I would sell myself. I was lost, I was broken, I had no hope. I thought that this is who I was, this was who I was gonna be for the rest of my life, that I was nothing but a drug addict. Uh, born and raised in a community called Kilbride, which is a uh, part of St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. And I'm a Newfie at heart. I, uh, I love the culture here. I love that we are surrounded by water. I love the landscape here. I love the beauty that our province is. I wouldn't want to be from anywhere else. I had a great family life, um, but nobody knew um, I was hurting inside. So at a very young age, I was exposed to sexual abuse and it really devastated me and I kept that secret. I didn't even realize at the time when I started drinking and smoking marijuana that I was doing it to numb the pain that I felt inside. My drug use started with um, drinking and marijuana um, and that went on for years most of my teenage life into my adult life. It went from marijuana to snorting cocaine uh, to crack cocaine use, uh, which really spiraled my life out of control quickly. I can't explain the feeling um, of you just don't care. You know what you're doing is wrong. You just don't care. You just will do anything to get that next fix. It's when the high goes away is when you get that pit in your stomach and you realize what you've just done. And not just what you've done, but the people that you have hurt. Rock bottom for me was, um, it was a December night and I was hurting. And I had no money but I needed my fix. 
I needed to get crack cocaine. So I thought about all the Christmas gifts my mom had, and I thought maybe I can take just one and go get a fix for myself. Taking one gift at a time, unwrapping it, bringing it, selling it, getting my fix, and then coming back, selling another gift to go get the next fix. Before I knew it, I sold every gift that she had to give out for Christmas. I woke up that next morning and I had no idea how I was gonna face my day. I had no idea how I was gonna face my mother. Who does that? I did that. And it was that day that I called Teen Challenge. I picked up the phone and I called Teen Challenge because I was desperate. I didn't want to continue to hurt the people that I was hurting. I didn't want to continue to live my life this way. When I actually picked up the phone to call Teen Challenge, I was so scared. I was so nervous. But when I dialed that number, I couldn't understand how someone could be so kind to someone like me. Because I only looked my, I looked so down on myself at that point of my life that I was nothing but an addict. I was hopeless. When I arrived at the Teen Challenge Women's Center uh, in Aurora, Ontario, when we reached that driveway and we were driving up that driveway, I felt such a calmness, such a peace. The joy that I saw the other ladies having, the contentment that I saw them having, was something that I wanted for myself. I had to stop running. I had to stop going around all these issues that I had in my life. I had to face them dead on. And I knew that that was what was going to happen at Teen Challenge. There were so many things that I learned when I was at Teen Challenge. First and foremost, I, f I learned to forgive myself for the corrupt life that I had led. Also, I was able to learn to forgive others. I was able to forgive all of those people that hurt me in my life, including my abuser. Teen Challenge gave me a new sense of love. You know, I learned that I was important, that I was valuable, you know, that God loves me more than anybody in this world ever will. Teen Challenge saved my life, saved my family's life. It's changed me forever. Teen Challenge has just given me hope on life again. It's given me confidence in myself. Teen Challenge has just um, turned my life around in ways that I could never imagine. And I want to start by saying thank you to so many of you who've sponsored students over the years 
and as a church family, the support that you've given. I was telling Pastor that you go back to 1996, even before we opened the Men's Center in Memram Cook. So thank you. Thank you for your support. The next slide, I have this sentence. We're in a war. We're in a full-fledged, all-out, full assault, no holes barred, no lives saved kind of war. The state of addiction in Canada, if we go to the next slide, let me just give you some statistics. Over four, almost 14,000 people have died as a direct result of opioid overdose between January 2016 and 2019. That's according to our Public Health Canada. 578,000 Canadians began using cannabis for the first time since it was legalized in October of 2018. Life expectancy, here's one that I didn't expect. The Canadian Census Bureau has downgraded the average life expectancy of the Canadian man for the first time in 40 years in 2017, largely due, are you ready friends? Largely due to the overdose deaths among young men here in Canada. What's happening to our country? Well, we're in a war, a full-fledged assault, destroying our families, destroying our homes, destroying our communities, destroying our businesses, wrecking people's lives. But of course, that's what the evil one is bent on doing, isn't he, friends? Jesus said the evil one came to kill and destroy. And that's exactly what he's doing with alcohol and drug abuse and addiction. I'm happy to tell you, though, that God has raised up Teen Challenge, not just in Canada but around the world with over 1,000 centers in 125 countries. Teen Challenge Canada represents eight centers and a ninth one being built uh, in the Ottawa Valley right now. And in 2019, and I'll soon have the 2020 statistics, but in 2019 we had 956 new applications. Of that, 475 came to have interviews. Of that, 257 men and women across Canada came into our program, and of those, 72 people completed the one year uh, gra and graduated one year. Praise God that in 72 lives were changed, but it wasn't just the 72 lives. If you subtract the difference between the 257 and the 72, the other folks, 180-some people, still heard the gospel, still stayed a certain length of time, and may be back into our program, or may got what they needed to be able to let God continue to work in their lives. You were talking, Paula, about Pam, about seeds and planting. I'm a farm boy from a little place called Corn Hill, and that's exactly what we're doing in this season. COVID has been very difficult for Teen Challenge. We had to cancel all of our banquets, all of our fundraising activities. We had to say, okay, God, can't go to churches because churches were closed. What are we going to do? Because we rely, and I'm going to be very clear, 100% on donations. 100% are donations. And so when that dried up, it was like, oh, God, what are we going to do? But again, thanks to churches and individuals like you, we never missed a beat. We never sent one person home because we didn't have the money. Every student was able to stay. 
And thank you. Thank you for that. I praise God for that. Now, you know, I expect that if I were to take this mic, which I can't do in COVID days, but if I were to walk out into the congregation and ask you, I am 99.9% .9 sure that every one of you hearing me knows of someone either in your home, in your extended family, at work or at school that's struggling with addiction. Is that true? Bathurst is not exempt. Bathurst is not some place where we can go to say, okay, there's nobody here that's struggling with addiction. There's nobody here that's struggling with alcoholism. There's nobody here that's hurting because of the horrors of what addiction does to your kid or your grandkid. Amen? But I'm here to tell you that there's good news. If we go to the next slide, please. Teen Challenge is a one-year, 12-month, faith-based, live-in, in other words, it's a residential program, uh, alcohol and drug rehab center for men and women over 18 years of age. I'm not sure if you're aware, but we've now opened a women's center in St. John's, Newfoundland. So in Atlantic, there's both the men's center in Memramcook and the women's center in St. John's, and I praise God for that. Our students are 18 years of age and older. Even though it says Teen Challenge, it doesn't mean that it's for teenagers. Uh, actually, we've had graduates in their 50s and 60s. One of the gentlemen that works in our call center in uh, London calling churches, in fact, called uh, Pastor Andrew to see if this was a good time to come back. Larry is a graduate, and he's 67 years old. So addiction is no respecter of persons. You can struggle at any age, and Teen Challenge will accept anybody 18 years of age and older if they want to come in and get the help that they need. We opened in 2006. Uh, we're located in Memram Cook, just outside of Moncton, uh, looking out on the Petticodiac River, and we have the capacity for 12 men right now during COVID. And I want to take you on a little tour. Have any of you ever been to Memram Cook to our men's center? Awesome. We've had a couple of folks. So let's uh, show you some pictures here. I think we've got some pictures coming up. Next slide. This is day to day. Jonathan, would you come up for just a second? He didn't know he was going to do this, and he's going to get used to this. This is his second Sunday out with me. Uh, just walk us through a quick day to day. Just take a couple minutes. Uh, day in the life, yeah. Uh, we wake up at 7.30 in the morning for breakfast. Um, 8.30, we have a meeting in the chapel called Devotions, where we just spend half an hour with God as a brotherhood. It's silent time, though. Uh, after that, we have on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we have chapel, um, and then we have class, followed by the afternoon of work therapy, which is a fully self-sufficient building, so all of the students are, we cook our own meals, we clean the bathrooms, the hallways, the offices, all of that, it's all on us to do, so that's work and therapy. I never thought I would put those two things in the same sentence, but I do now at this point in my life. Um, and, you know, it's very rewarding learning to do all the things that I never took the time to do when I was in addiction. Um, and so that pretty much rounds out the day. Um, on Tuesday and Thursday, we don't have chapel in the mornings. We actually go out to the food bank and food depot in Moncton, and we volunteer our time there. If there's other things, um, organizations that need stuff done, they get in touch with our facilities management guy, and 
we can go out and spend the day or something just helping out volunteering our time in the community in one way or another and then on in the evening times after supper we have pace which is personalized academic christian education and then we follow that up with prayer on monday and wednesday and then tuesday and thursday is worship and then it's you know we're ready for bed at that point so it's bedtime yeah <laughs> all right thanks jonathan jo jonathan's going to be back in a couple of minutes thanks buddy jonathan is a graduate and uh, has stayed on for six months as what was uh, sort of an internship program it's called a phase four uh, and those are some of the pictures uh, the picture on the far right, uh, the guys are playing sports and you're looking across to beautiful Albert County and the mighty Petticodiac River. So next slide. All right, here's the men's center. And uh, actually, I'm going to step over here to the side like this. It was a monastery. And if you remember the story, how many remember the story of David Wilkerson when Teen Challenge began? Okay, so those of you that don't, real quick, Dave Wilk David Wilkerson was a pastor in the hills of Pennsylvania, and in 1958, God had really uh, picked, pricked his spirit that he needed to spend more time praying. And so in the evening, instead of turning the TV on and watching the news, he would go into his office, get on his knees, and pray. And this particular night, as he was praying, he was prompted to pick up Life magazine. He opened the magazine, and here was this full two-page photograph of a group of young men, 13, 14, 15-year-old men, that were on trial for first-degree murder. Are you ready for it? This gang had murdered a little handicapped boy in a wheelchair who was just sitting in the park because they didn't have anything better to do. They were bored. And the Spirit of God would not let go of David Wilkerson's heart until he drove to New York City, and he was a farm boy like me, didn't know his way around the city at all, but found his way into New York City, went to the courthouse, not knowing a thing about legal protocol, sat in the gallery, and at the end of the court uh, day, uh, at the end of the day, he kept hoping that he would have a chance to speak to the judge. What he didn't know was that there had been death threats against the judge. And so, he didn't know that, and at the end, as they were dismissing the court, he gets up and runs towards the judge. He was met halfway down, and they took him down and hauled him out of the court. The judge was ripping angry at him and threw him out of the courthouse. An enterprising journalist saw all this, was outside with a camera, and said to the pastor, said, uh, Preacher, are you ashamed of that Bible of yours? And uh, the pastor, of course, said no. And he said, well, put it up where I can see it. So as Pastor Wilkerson lifted his big pulpit Bible over his hand, they took a picture of it, put it on the front page of the newspaper the next day, and made a complete fool of him. He went home discouraged, sad, confused, like God... I thought you wanted me to help these boys, and look at what has happened. Family didn't want to speak to him. His church family, was they'd see him in town, and they'd kind of sh just shade their eyes from him. They were embarrassed, but God had a plan. God would not let David rest. Two months later, he goes back to New York City. Those boys are in prison. He parks, 
at the same spot that he'd parked two, year, two, two years, two months before. And as he got out of the car, there was some gang members standing around a, a fire in an old barrel. And they recognized him from the newspaper picture. And they said, hey, preacher, how are you? It's like, how do you know me? Well, there's a saying that the friend, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. And as a result of that newspaper article, the gangs welcomed David Wilkerson into their hideouts. To make a long story short, he started leading people to Christ. That was 1958. That building was built in 1958 in Memram Cook, and God gave that to us 15 years ago. It was a monastery that's now been turned into a 24-bed facility where men can come and live and get free. Amen? A couple more pictures before we continue. Next slide. This is looking out uh, the front yard and a beautiful spot. The guys often will go there just to read, reflect, pray. Uh, upper right-hand side is our uh, um, makeshift uh, basketball court in the summer and skating rink in the winter. Bottom left is a garage that we've turned into a gym, and then the backyard there in the bottom right, uh, good spot to play uh, football and soccer. Next slide. There's a uh, close-up of the uh, basketball court. Next slide. This is our chapel. Next slide. You can see some guys. And uh, Kent, uh, our pastor on staff, our spiritual life coach, uh, they're in uh, a Bible study at that point. And this is a fairly recent picture because of COVID. Uh, we aren't able to, peep, to take students outside of the Atlantic bubble. We often get students from Ontario. And so we're down. We only have five students. We're expecting some more, but uh, there are only five students. Next slide. This is the, chat, the uh, dining hall. And uh, thanks to some donations, we were able to upgrade uh, recently from fresh paint and so on. Next slide. This is the classroom, and again, that's uh, Kent uh, leading the students in some of their pace work, I believe. Next slide. Dorm room. Each uh, guy has uh, their own room, uh, and uh, there's a, a sink there. Next slide, you'll see the bunk beds. And uh, that looks almost as neat as uh, when I was in Bible college. Next slide. This is the laundry, and uh, Jonathan had mentioned that the guys do work therapy. Part of that is doing laundry, uh, so the bedding and the clothes and stuff, the guys take their turns doing that. And thanks to a donation a couple of years ago, we will upgrade to some newer equipment. Next slide, which has made a big difference for the guys, the washers and the dryers. And I think that's the end of the tour, so let's go to the next slide. What is Teen Challenge? What do we do? Well, we, are, uh, we provide counseling, spiritual formation, work therapy, student life activities, and so much more, as Jonathan had mentioned. Let me tell you, this program is intensive. The average student that comes into our care, the average young man has already been to 3.1 government programs. Now, I want you to think about what that statistic means, brothers and sisters. What it means is, imagine you're the mom and dad, and finally your son or your daughter has agreed to go get help. They go into a government program, they're there for a week, two weeks, three weeks, up to three months. They come home and they're clean. And then within a few days or a few weeks, they relapse. Do you feel discouraged? Then they go back into the program again. Another three months, and you think, you know what, this time it's gonna work. 
and they relapse again, and they start stealing again, they start lying again. Imagine third time they're in the program. They're there for two months, three months. They get out. Is it any wonder that young men and women overdose? Is it any wonder that they lose hope? You see, our program is intensive. It is hard. It's because we're not, we know that there are hurts, there are wounds that you need to be willing to let God heal. You need to come to the place of letting God forgive you and forgiving yourself. And that's not going to happen overnight. But it will happen over time if you're given the opportunity in community. Because it's not just what the staff do, as you're going to hear from Jonathan's testimony, it's what the students do in loving each other. It is a Christian program. We make no bones about it. And because of that, the government doesn't want to help us. And I'll be quite frank, I'm thankful for that. Because in my experience, anytime that happens, then we lose the opportunity, the cutting edge. One of our former students that traveled with me for a number of months used to say it this way. He said, God brings people to Teen Challenge, and then Teen Challenge brings people to God. Right? And it's that connection with God. It's the relationship with God as our Father, with Christ as our Savior, that gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to be set free, to know that we don't have to live according to the old nature and the old man, that we don't have to live according to the sinful desires of our, fle of our flesh. Amen? We are unashamedly Christian. What is our mission? It's to help men and women overcome substance abuse to lead full and productive lives. That's why we exist. That's why God has called us, what God has called us to do. Next slide. I want to share with you a verse of scripture and then I'm going to invite Jonathan to come back up when I'm done. But in Colossians 2 verses 13 to 15, Paul says this, and I love this passage of scripture. Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What you're going to hear from Jonathan now is an example of this how the blood of Christ, the power of the cross, has canceled the debt that stood against us, and that, he has, that the evil one is now bound, that he doesn't have the power in your life anymore. He makes a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're dealing with someone who's stuck in addiction, we do not believe that once an addict, always an addict. We do not believe that you just have to manage your sin, manage this. No, you can be free, completely free, because of the power of God in your life. Amen. I'm going to turn it over to Jonathan, and he's going to share his story, and then I'm going to come back. Hey. So I'm Jonathan. I was... Uh Born and raised in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I'm 28 years old, and I've just graduated the Teen Challenge program. Um, I have a piece of scripture I'd like to share, and I like it because it describes what my life was like when I was in active addiction 
and um, the last line of it um, is kind of what's happened to me in the last year uh, since coming to Teen Challenge. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. And that's from Titus uh, 3. Uh, like I said, I'm Jonathan, 28, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Dartmouth, actually. Um, I was adopted at birth by two amazing people who I'm blessed to call mom and dad. Uh, they supplied anything that I needed and most of the things that I wanted. Um, so on the outside, through my childhood, everything was well, but inside, having been adopted at birth, and I don't even know if it's necessarily all because of that, um, I had a natural struggle for identity, and I didn't really have much direction in my life. Um, when I was eight years old, I was diagnosed with leukemia, and so I spent uh, the years of my life from eight, nine, and ten uh, fighting for my life against uh, leukemia at the IWK. Um, when I returned to school, when I was finally healthy enough two years later, I was uh, outcasted by my peers, and not because they meant to or anything, is because while I was at the hospital battling uh, leukemia, they were developing their social circles, and when I came back, I just didn't fit in. Um, and of course, I had missed two years of development in, re in relationships and things like that, so I was just a little bit different. I was, I was an outcast. Um, but to no fault of my peers. Uh, but it did naturally make me um, crave acceptance and attention, even more so than I had uh, with my identity crisis before leukemia. Um, so when uh, several years later, when high school came around, um, there's a false acceptance uh, that's offered through drugs and alcohol and those types of scenes um, in the high schools. And I was very vulnerable to that because all I wanted was to be loved by somebody and I felt as if drugs and alcohol would be an easy avenue to that and it proved right actually it was a wrong type of love not what I was looking for but at the time it did me just fine um, and so I thought that I had found my identity in drugs and alcohol and so I was pretty happy with that but uh, I started smoking weed in grade 10 and drinking alcohol on the weekends in grade 11 and by grade 12 my my score for my classes was usually lower than my absences on my report card. So it just shows you where my life was headed. And I did manage to graduate high school. I graduated from Prince Andrew High School in 2010. Somehow, like, I don't know how, but I did. Um, so when I graduated, I was a much different person than I was, you know, walking into the school first day of grade 10. Um, when I left in grade 12, I was, I was a much different person. Uh, Instead of being bullied, I had become the bully. I wasn't uh, this passive, shy, you know, antisocial kid. I was loud, obnoxious, like very aggressive in my mannerisms. Um, all the things that uh, I had found and picked up from hanging out with the people that were doing the drugs and drinking the alcohol, um, things that I picked up because I thought that they would help me with my acceptance. And once again, on the outside, things looked pretty good, you know, and like I felt fairly good, but I was convincing myself of a lie. Uh, things really weren't good on the inside, and so I took great, I took a year off between um, community college, which I went to in 2012, um, 
and high school because I wanted to take some time for me, but that time actually ended up becoming a downward spiral where I just started to use more regularly. But to convince everything, everybody around me, like my mother, my father, my cousins, and anybody who still cared about me at this point in my life that everything was normal, I quickly got into community college after high school, like the after my year off or whatever. And so because I did that, I didn't really think about what I wanted to do. I just looked at what I could easily be accepted into, and that was uh, management at Nova Scotia Community College. And it was uh, during my two years there that um, I surrounded myself with like-minded people already being a regular user because my year off had really only encouraged me to use more. Um, so I started surrounding myself with like-minded people to convince myself that this is what everybody does. Um, and it was at that time, while I was hanging out with the people that were smoking the weed and drinking the alcohol, that I was introduced to cocaine. Um, and cocaine for me, it, it, took to, it took me to another, took me to another realm of unmanageability, but at this time in my life, I still wanted to convince myself and everybody around me that everything was fine. And so I, I put the masks on that everything was good, but inside I was dealing with a lot of pain and I still needed acceptance. Like I still needed acceptance. That was like a daily thing for me. I needed to be affirmed by the people around me and the people around me weren't the type of people you wanted to be affirmed by, trust me when I say that. Um, but instead of getting into management after graduating management, which is probably what I should have and could have done, but I didn't. I uh, got a job doing oil and gas plant shutdowns in Alberta, and I'm still living with my parents, and I've been living with my parents the whole time through this whole story. And my parents are very loving, supportive people, and that's not who you want in your life if you're trying to do drugs and not be called out on it. So going away to Alberta was a no-brainer for me. More money, more problems, but nobody would be able to see it, so... It was, it was a no-brainer for me. Uh, I uh, was on a dry camp in Fort McMurray. Dry camp is more and more um, a thing now, but it just means there's no alcohol there. This was before weed was legal, so that obviously there's no weed there either. Cocaine was darn near impossible to get out, out to that part of Fort McMurray. It was about 45 minutes outside of the city. And it was at that point in my life I uh, met, like I've been surrounding myself my whole life with the like-minded people, right? And uh, this job was no different than that. Um, and so I started snorting my friend's, uh, popping and snorting my friend's prescription Oxycontin, which is an opiate. Um, and it, it was literally like two weeks I went from like experimenting to a full-fledged addict. Um, I was buying his whole prescription off him. Um, and it wasn't until a failed drug test later that year, back in Halifax, before I went back out to Alberta, I failed a drug test. And that was the first time in my life since I had started using where, you know, I could no longer convince people that I was okay. You know, I, before that I had done a fairly good job of masking how bad things were on the inside and so I you know I sat down with my parents I told them about the failed drug test um, and we decided that I would go to a 21-day rehab facility in Dartmouth it's the Nova Scotia Hospital's public rehab facility um, 
I finished the, the 21 days, and I was very hopeful. My parents were very, very hopeful. Um, but there's a saying in recovery, uh, if nothing changes, then nothing changes. And I really wasn't willing to change anything or put in any type of work. I just wanted this. I developed actually an attitude of more entitlement than I had had, had before when I was in addiction even. And I thought that the world owed me one because I was clean and sober um, naturally. I fell back into the same old ideas that I had been that I had been subject to my whole life that had kind of made me made me want to go to drugs and alcohol and the same the same things like that insecurity needing affirmation all these things and so I knew I could get it in drugs and alcohol so I went back to smoking weed at first and then quickly followed that with cocaine um, but I had no job I couldn't go back to Alberta because of my failed drug test, and I certainly wasn't about to be able to pass one. Um, and I had no money, so I had an addiction to feed, and I quickly turned to crime. I was frauding banks, um, driving drug dealers, which I would have called my friends at the time, to and from uh, drug deals for cash or for cocaine, sometimes even marijuana. Um, and between 2017 and 2019, um, I was completely engulfed in my addiction, and those those two years, three-year period was a very bad time in my life. Um, I would go home to my parents' house, and like I said, they loved me and supported me, but I would only go home just to get a, a quick night's sleep, some food out of their fridge, brush my teeth, and then I'd be right back out before they'd even wake up in the morning. Wouldn't even say hello to them. Wouldn't say, hey, I love you, Mom, Dad, any of that stuff. Um, and so one night after a long bender, uh, which is just an extended period of use. Um, I came home, and there was a typed letter from my mother, um, and it, the first line started said something like, uh, "I've thought long and hard about what I'd like to say to you, but you're never home long enough for me to say these things to you. So here it is, and it's just uh, three pages that, uh, you know, things like, you know, we uh, sold out our retirement funds to keep you from getting killed. We still don't even see you." You know, um, we've done this for your life. We've done that for your life. We've taken care of this issue for you. We've taken care of that issue for you. And we still don't see you. And then the last, all that was hard to hear. But the last line was very hard to hear, the most hard to hear. And it said that my grandfather was sick and dying in the hospital at the Halifax Infirmary. And my grandfather's my father's father. Very involved in my life. He's a devoted Christian and all. I believe today, I believe that his praying got me through a lot of the situations that I was in. Um, but my father's father and my father's mother were very close to me all through my childhood until drugs had taken over. So to hear this news was pretty devastating to me. And you got to keep in mind, like my, my mindset that night when I came home wasn't to see a letter like that. So I still had drugs and paraphernalia on me and I still had planned to leave early in the morning, but Somewheres in that night, I was presented a decision, a choice in my head, and that was to, to just follow through with my plans, go leave the house, continue to get high, chase my passions and my pleasures, um, or I could sober up and go over to the hospital, and that's the choice that I took, and I believe that that's the choice that really first started to break the cycle of addiction in my life. I don't think it was the drug test. I think that just kind of made it so I wasn't able to hide anymore. But um, I think this was like the, really the, 
the real thing that broke the cycle of addiction for me ever since I had started to use in high school. Um, and so I spent the next two weeks um, at the hospital with my grandfather, and he was dying. Um, but as he progressively got worse, naturally I wasn't using at the hospital while I was with my grandfather, so I was getting a little bit better mind-wise, uh, just a little bit. Well enough that I decided I would try to do the same 21-day rehab facility that I had done earlier in my life. And I did the 21-day rehab facility, but about halfway through it, I realized, like, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So what am I going to do differently this time? And so I contacted somebody at uh, a secular rehab facility in Cape Breton, and I went to that rehab facility in Cape Breton, and things went pretty well for me. But it wasn't long enough, and I just I hid some things that I really didn't want uncovered, some things I really didn't want to work through, because, you know, it's, it's not easy. These things aren't inviting. It's not like you want to work through these things. These things are hard to work through. And a lot of them are things that I've believed since I was old enough to believe anything. So they were tough to deal with, tough things to deal with. And I didn't want to deal with them. So I hid them. Um, but anyways, I had had a stint of sobriety in when I left the recovery home in Cape Breton. Around six months of sobriety... I decided I would get baptized. I got baptized at Halifax Christian Church, um, which is the church that my grandfather built and served at as a member for many, many years. Um, so that church is very dear to my heart. Um, and things were going very well. I actually joined like small group Bible study. I was very plugged into the church. And I was happy. I was actually very happy with my life. I think this was a pretty good point in my life. But... Things started to go a little too well almost, and I didn't, maybe not, didn't have to work hard enough to get some things back. But uh, left to my own devices, I relapsed because I stopped leaning on God. I stopped uh, doing things that I was doing. I quickly started to pick up too much responsibilities and, and started to neglect my obligations to recovery and to God. Um, so I relapsed in August of 2019 and I went back to that same recovery center after about a month of relapse 21 days and I'm thinking to myself well, what's going to be different this time like if nothing changes nothing changes but I tried to change last time what am I going to do very very desperate time in my life but I had one good friend that had never turned his back on me and he was a graduate of the teen challenge program he's like one of the original 10 graduated back in 2008 and uh, I just thank God that he was still part of my life after all the hurts that I and let let downs that I put him through um, so he, you know he, he had planted the seed of teen challenge years ago but I wasn't desperate enough a year no like faith-based at the time when he was planting that seed no not for me uh, definitely not a year and any place where they put work and therapy in the same sentence, like I said earlier, right? That's a tough place to want to live. But I was desperate, like I said, and I knew, like, I had hurt my parents as much as they could be hurt. You know, my dad had a heart attack when he was 52, probably something to do with the way I was living my life. And I knew all these things, so I was very desperate, and I applied to Teen Challenge. About a week after that, I applied that things really started rolling and about two weeks after I had applied I arrived at Teen Challenge. It was October 21st the day I arrived and while I was at Teen Challenge 
I uncovered the things that I really didn't want to uncover. The, the therapist there, the counselor there. You, you sit down in her office and you're like, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to. And then next thing you know, you leave an hour later and you spend an hour talking about what you thought you weren't going to talk about that day. And then, you know, on top of that, you've got your brothers, you know. I've been in the program when there's been like five guys and I've been in the program when there's been 17 guys. Um, so there's never a moment, though, that you're alone. You're always, you're always together with, with people, the staff, and then, of course, God's Spirit is so present in that building. It's, you know, there's nowhere you could go to get away from that. Um, but I most connect with it in the chapel. Personally, I really like being in the chapel. But God used my brothers at Teen Challenge to show me the love and acceptance that I thought I had found in drugs and alcohol. He used his spirit to affirm me. I didn't need to be affirmed by people. I didn't need to be affirmed by the type of people I was being affirmed by. That's for darn sure. Um, and, he, you know, he told me that he loved me, and he showed me that he loved me just by the amount of grace that he's shown me through my life. I couldn't imagine to be here in front of a church talking about my life and the hurts and the traumas and the stuff that I've been through because, honestly, the stats are stacked against a guy like me. Most, most of me don't get to go to a teen challenge. Most people like me are dead or in jail. They're in an institution, and I'm not talking about teen challenge. I'm talking about a, like a, psych, a psycho institution. Like, I beat the odds to get here. God delivered me here. He handpicked me, and he has a mission for me. And just knowing that and being able to say that, I know now I don't have to look to man for my affirmation because it comes from God, right? He defines who I am, and he's... He's the dictator of what I'll be. And my, you know, I struggled my whole life with that. I struggled my whole life being adopted at birth and then being taken out of school, all these things that I've struggled with. But I never looked to the right place for those answers. But today, I call God my Father. And I know that this is my story, but this is all God's glory. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Jonathan. <clears throat> I've been a pastor for 40 years, and I'll tell you, it never gets old. We get to watch ringside as God changes men's lives one day at a time, and I thank God. Thank you, Jonathan. Next slide. I want to just share a little bit about some things that are coming up, and uh, many of you already know about this, but we have a program called Sponsor a Student. And uh, we have some cards out back. There are some students that are available for sponsorship. Uh, this is just like World Vision or uh, Compassion, any of those other great ministries. Uh, it's $40 a month. You will be assigned a student, and you'll have the chance to communicate with the student. You can write letters. Uh, Jonathan, just real quick, come back up here. Why don't you just tell them what it's meant to you to have a sponsor, just in two minutes, because... First of all, uh, being uh, a student at the program, you only have to pay $1,100 to get into the program. They say that it takes 100 sponsors to graduate just one student. Um, and when, when a student is having a bad day, it just so happens to be that day God uses a letter from one of his 100 sponsors, maybe two or three of his 100 sponsors, just uh, somebody that this person most likely doesn't know. 
um, just telling them that, that they're loved, that they're cared for. Um, for me, those letters came on the days when I was ready to give up. And, and, and I seen those letters come on the days when I, nothing I could say would get through to any of my brothers to try and get them to get their head back in the game. But then they get a letter from a random person, a person who, who loves them and cares for them and wants them to succeed. I mean, it's, it's something else, the way those letters and the way the prayers that, you know, not everybody writes letters, but I think all 100 of these sponsors are praying for me because somebody was praying for me because I had a lot of rough days and I got through the program somehow and I had to believe that it was the people who were pulling for me and just to know that there was 100 people at least pulling for me and whoever else, right? Just so powerful, the, the relationship that we have with our sponsors. Good word, good word. You also get an invitation to graduation, uh, and uh, with COVID style, that would probably be watching it via Facebook or something. Uh, hopefully that will change. But sponsorship is a big deal, uh, and uh, I would love to talk to you more about that afterwards. There are some brochures at the back on the table. Next slide, please. So some other ways that you can help. Uh, as Jonathan's already mentioned, praying for us. This is frontline ministry. Uh, pray for the staff uh, as well as the students. It is challenging some days, and with COVID, that's made it even more so. Uh, feel free to offer your time. Uh, we are allowing some visitors back now, uh, and uh, one of the big things that I know the guys like me to say whenever I go to a local church is, you're welcome to cook and bake for us. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nod, nod. I am a farm boy, and I love to, I promise that any food you do donate, I promise it will all make it back to the center. It's uh, one of my addictions that I'm asking God for grace in, uh, and, uh, but seriously, if, uh, if that's something you'd be interested in, we'd love to, to pick up uh, home cooking. The guys already love that dearly. Serving on some of our fundraising uh, activities uh, is another way that you can help. And something new that we're piloting is a lunch and learn. And that is if you are a business person, either hearing me uh, in person or online, uh, and would love to share with your business, uh, the, your employees, we will come to your place of work at our dime, feed your staff pizza, and just take the lunch hour. And while your staff are enjoying lunch, uh, we'll share a quick story about what Teen Challenge does and a live uh, student testimony. So if you're interested in that, let me know. And my email is there on the screen. Next slide. Uh, monthly sponsorship. We've already mentioned that, and we've got several sponsors here, and I want to say thank you to those of you who, are, who have been sponsors. You can help us financially. Uh, we take a debit. I have a debit machine at the table at the back. Uh, you can go online, uh, and uh, I'll show you that in just a second. Pastors asked me to bring some envelopes. So on the back table are some envelopes that look like this. You can write out a check, put cash in. If you want a receipt, just make sure you put your name, full name and address on that so we can uh, get that to you. Uh, and uh, you can go online. So just real quickly, because I know our, how's our time? Oh, joy, okay. Um, let's go uh, buy those slides, because I want to end uh, with a prayer time. You can go online to tcatlantic.ca. Just keep going, brother, till the one that says we want to pray. And I'm going to invite Pastor to come and, and join us at this point. We want to pray for you, 
And in the old days before COVID, the way that that would work was you would have a brochure with a little piece of paper in it. We'd ask you to put your, the names of people in your life, friends, family, co-workers, to write the first names down. So if you go to the next slide, to write the first names down and put on a piece of paper, put it in the offering, and we would gather it. We can't do that. So what we're asking you to do, and we're going to leave this slide up uh, for a few minutes, if there's someone in your life that you're praying for, we want to join you in praying. We have a box. I'm not going to show you the picture because of time, but we have a box back at the chapel, uh, and Jonathan normally shares the students and the staff gather several times a week, and we take the names out of the box one by one, and we pray several times a week that God would touch the life uh, and the heart of these people. What I'm going to ask you to do online and in person, it's the only time it's allowed in church to text, but take that number down, and even if you don't send it to me tomorrow, that's fine. Text me the name, just the first name, and we commit to joining you in praying for these folks. And that's what we'd like to do right now, brother. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that we can come and bring the names of our family members, our kids, our grandkids, our friends, neighbors, co-workers. God, you know the names that are on our hearts right now. God, I pray for my friend Carrie. God, I pray that you would grab a hold of her heart. I pray, Father, that you would free her from the addiction that's destroying her life. God, I pray that you would open a door that she would be able to get into the Teen Challenge Women's Center. And for each of the names, Father, that are on our hearts now, we lift them before you. We invite your kingdom and your power and the work of your spirit into their circumstances. We invite you, Father, to overwhelm them with the presence and the love of Jesus. We ask, God, that you would break the power of the lies in their hearts and in their thinking. And we invite you, we plead with you by the blood of Jesus, Father, that you would rescue these men and women. So that like the story of Jonathan, like the story of Lisa that we saw at the beginning, Father, that they too would become trophies of your grace. Thank you, Father. We give them to you now and we turn this. Thank you for this time to be with these dear people. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Appreciate you uh, coming and... Uh, sharing stories of hope, sharing stories of, of uh, the work of God in, in uh, setting people free. He's, he is a God who sets free. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to, I want to encourage you to, to stop it at uh, the Teen Ta Challenge table on your way out uh, and, uh, you know, take the opportunity to make a donation there if, you, if you're able to do that. Uh, if you forget it, if you forgot to bring your uh, Christmas child box today, uh, please get them in to the office before Wednesday. Uh, we need to do that. And uh, if you'd stand, I want to I finish our time off today 
with a, a blessing. It's been a while since we've done this. So I want to I wanna bless you in Jesus' name. And if you want to get in receiving mode, how many, how many like to be blessed? All right. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you with the promises of God, which are yes and amen. The Holy Spirit make you healthy and strong in body, mind, and spirit uh, to move in faith and expectancy. May God's angels be with you to protect you and keep you. Be blessed with supernatural strength to turn your eyes from foolish, worthless, and evil things. Instead, may you behold the beauty of things that God has planned for you as you obey His Word. I bless your ears to hear the lovely, the uplifting, and the encouraging, and to shut out the demeaning and the negative. May your feet, be, uh, may your feet walk in holiness, and your steps be ordered by the Lord. May your hands be tender, helping hands to those in need, hands that bless. May your heart be humble and receptive to one another and to the things of God and not to the world. May your mind be strong, disciplined, balanced, and faith-filled. God's grace be upon your home, that it may be a sanctuary of rest and renewal, a haven of peace where sounds of joy and laughter grace its walls, where love and unconditional acceptance of one another is consistent. God give, you, uh, God give you success and prosperity in your business and places of labor as you acknowledge and obey the imperative of Scripture concerning the tithe. God give you spiritual strength to overcome the evil one, to avoid temptation. God's grace be upon you to fulfill your dreams and visions. May goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your long life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His face upon you and give you His peace. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Uh, tonight is session four of our study on the end times. If you want to join us for that, either live or on Zoom. God bless.